Thank you for checking out our message here at Public Church. We exist to develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. We want to make you aware of how we can better connect with you through our website, publicchurch.net. Through this, you can find out more about us as a church. We hope that you enjoy this message. So these guys are going to share with us, and the question is going to be on the screen that we're going to talk about is this. What do we do when the healing doesn't come? So we want to have an authentic conversation today based on this question. What do we do when the healing doesn't come? So to get us started, I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. Sam, we'll let you start us off. Hi, I'm uh, Sam Landreth, son of the great Jennifer Landreth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jennifer Landreth. (laughs) I'm Tulsi. I'm Brenda Barton, uh, Whitney's mother and Todd's mother-in-law. And I would say no mother-in-law jokes apply because she's awesome. You can make the jokes. I don't understand them because she's amazing. Uh, and I'm uh, Whitney Stevenson, uh, his better half. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. So one of our goals today is to start a conversation that continues outside the space. So on the screen, you're going to see an email. And I just want to encourage you guys, if at some point during today that you have a question, maybe for someone on the panel, you have a thought, Email us. Write down a thought on your phone. Send us an email, conversations at publicchurch.net, because we just want to start an authentic conversation that we hope continues outside of this space. So to get us started, Jennifer, could you introduce us to your husband, David? I will. Uh, Every good story starts with a good Bradley Bear. And you can see on the screen, David and I met when we were at Bradley, and uh, he went on their team, went to the state tournament, and he made the all-state team. So that was a happy memory. But we dated four years, then we got married, and uh, we were married for 27 years. And in that time, we had um, a, you know, an ex- exciting adventure in a lot of ways, but we um, had three kids, Rachel, Sam, and Josh, and then um, David was a great dad. I think we've got some pictures of that, too, where he was very intentional about taking the boys to Waffle House and just having Bible study time with them and doing different things. And then with my daughter, uh, he officiated her wedding two years before he died. And so he was just a great father and husband, and uh, he was very intentional about us having a date night every week. And uh, just a super guy. If you did not know David, the only way I can describe him to you is he was a combination of the Energizer Bunny, Andy Griffith, and Joan Lapile, all put together. (laughs) (laughs) And he was um, just a dynamic leader, and um, he he was just all around, he he had a lot of integrity, he told the truth, even to a fault at times on things, and uh, just a, a, a great man of character. And so it was my privilege to be his wife for all those years. Uh, We also got to serve at two churches. One was Candy's Creek, which is planted this church. Mm -hmm. And we were there for seven years. Then we went to Long Hollow for 17 and a half years. And uh, you will see that Long Hollow was able to uh, put together a lot of bloopers in those years. And so you're going to get to see a little bit of a video of what David was really like. Pastor, 
Oh, that's amazing. So Sam, as your dad mentioned, you helping him out, um, giving him some preaching tips. So what's a favorite memory, memory that you have of your dad? Uh, yes. Well, first, uh, can you imagine living with that guy? <laughs> um, loud. That's all I can say. I, I think I'm finally uh, understanding what it means to have peace that surpasses all understanding. I'll tell him that one day. But uh, uh, one of my favorite memories, I guess, uh, there's a lot. I guess one of my favorites is um, all throughout the week, we would eat, um, you know, we'd eat normal breakfast food, like healthy food. Um, and for some reason, I guess he was in charge on Fridays of breakfast. And looking back, I guess he just didn't want to do anything. And so uh, I would come downstairs on Friday, and he'd say, okay, it's, uh, it's anything you want for breakfast day. And so I would go, and I'd fix the biggest bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream. And I would just throw down on it. And my brother's like probably eating like pepperonis and cheese and stuff, you know, like. But it was awesome because I got to go to school and tell everybody, like, I had ice cream for breakfast. Like, <laughs> you had a Pop-Tart. Like, what about that? You know? Uh, but I think it started like a lifelong addiction. Uh, I had a bowl last night, and I was like, what has happened to me? You know? <laughs> oh, I love it. So you guys can see that David Landreth was a great man. And now, Brenda, would you take a moment and just introduce us to your husband, David Barton? I never met David Landreth, but I feel like after seeing that, I know I know him just from being that. And, and my David was that kind of person, too. He was kind. He was caring. He was fun-loving. And when you met him, you felt like you knew him, and you felt comfortable with him. He was just a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. We met when we were in middle school. Woo! and yeah, yeah, he was the liquor. Uh, <laughs> we met when uh, we were in middle school, and I was the cheerleader, and he was the junior midget football player. Of course, all the cheerleaders were bigger than the football players at that time. We were taller, but um, that's when we first met and uh, started dating, dated through high school. Uh, actually, we dated for 10 years, and then we got married. Um, my family said they were going to take a collection if we had not given me an engagement ring <laughs> that year because they just thought it was going to go on forever. But uh, we married and um, had three beautiful children, uh, Ashley, Whitney, and Brett, and then... Um, David, at the age of 34, decided he was in the business world, but he uh, felt the conviction to go back to school and become a Christian counselor. So uh, he went back to school and did do that and became a Christian counselor, became a youth pastor, was ordained as a minister, and just had a huge impact on many people's lives as a counselor. Uh, that was from 1996 to 2002, and then we made the decision at that time to kind of leave the counseling ministry and go into a different kind of ministry and move to Cleveland with... Um, Chick-fil-A's um, foster home uh, program. That's awesome. And Whit, could you just tell us, you, you had a great dad, and what is one thing that your dad taught you about Jesus? And, you know, I think a favorite memory is tied up in that. Yeah, and as they slide through the pictures, you'll get be able to see a little bit of, of him and his character and, <laughs> and my uh, stubbornness. <laughs> my mom snuck that one in. Um, but, you know, my dad instilled in us at a very young age um, the meaning of um, going before the Lord and, and being able to, to sit before him and learn about Jesus. And um, kind of, I, I it was funny when Sam was talking about that because my dad did the similar thing, except it was very, we had to have like a protein and we could have a carb. Okay, so um, his favorite thing to do was to fix us breakfast in the morning. Um, and he was all about it. You had to be at the table at 6.45 in the morning. You could not be late. And so I would come with a towel wrapped around my head and just sit there, you know. Um, but he would fix this breakfast, and the main thing was he wanted to do a morning devotion with us. And it was something that we started when we were in middle school, and um, even up till uh, when I was 
uh, in high school. And so it was the family devotion time, and he would always say, you know, it's important to start your day off uh, with Jesus and a good breakfast. That's awesome. So you guys can get a glimpse of both Davids were just incredible men, but life isn't fair. And sometimes life takes a turn for the worse. So, Jennifer, could you just tell us about a day that forever changed your life? David had gone in for a colonoscopy, which he had had one before, so we weren't expecting anything major to come back of that. But I was sitting in the waiting room, and the doctor called me back, and David was still a little groggy, and he took me in a little room. And he said to me, um, there's a dark spot here. And he showed it to me on the um, pictures. And he said, I'm not sure why this is here. I think it's a melanoma. I don't know what type at this point. And so he said, we're going to send it off. And uh, I remember he just talked to me in such a serious tone that I knew this is, this is a, a lot worse than we thought. And David had a trip to India coming up in the next week or so. Um, it came to the point where he had to cancel that. And the doctor said, in about five days, we'll know the results. Come back and meet with us. So we went back, and uh, he said, this is a very rare melanoma, and the fatality rate, usually people don't live past 22 months. And I would like to tell you at that point, yeah, it was a bad diagnosis, but we had faith and we believed. And, and I really did think we're going to beat this thing. But at the same time, I remember going home with my two best friends sitting at my kitchen table and crying my eyes out and just thinking, what are we looking at? And at that point, I thought, well, he may be looking at chemo or radiation, but the news he gave us that those weren't really options for David. And so uh, we just had to go through some experimental um, programming and tests and just wait and see what was going to happen. And Sam, how did your dad give you this news? Uh, yeah, so um, I remember our, uh, my parents uh, wanting us all to come together, and so uh, one night, uh, and you know something's up, but you don't, you know, you don't think it's going to be that serious. Um, you're always hoping, like, it's maybe like, okay, we're going on a vacation to Hawaii, or, you know, like, <laughs> maybe we just haven't cleaned our rooms or something, you know, uh, maybe I didn't, because I can forget a lot of things, but um, they called everybody together, and, like, my sister was there, my brother was there, my brother-in-law, my dad and my mom, and I remember... Uh, he said, there's, uh, there's good news and there's bad news. Um, and uh, he started with the bad news, and he said, I you know, have uh, this cancer. Um, the average most people live is, is a year and a half, and, and the maximum amount is five years. And he said, the good news is that it's, uh, he said, I was just praying and praying and praying for uh, something good that I could share with you all. And he said, the good news is it's just stage one uh, right now. And so he shared it with us, and everybody's crying and, you know, you know sobbing and everything. And, and then we just, uh, like you said, we... Uh, you know, we were sad, and, and it wasn't good. Like, nobody slept that night, but we, we did. We still hoped, and we, you know, thought that things could come out of it, so we huddled together, and, and we prayed and, uh, that night. And, uh, Brenda, you guys also had a day that forever changed your life, and if we could put up a photo from um, Ashley's wedding um, day, there's going to be a photo from Ashley's wedding day, and I think you're going to tell us about the day after that. Yes, uh, Ashley... Uh, in 2006, uh, became engaged to Colin Cook, and uh, we began to plan her wedding, and David wanted to perform her wedding, and as we approached the wedding day, he, he became, uh, he was anxious, he began not to feel well, and, you know, we didn't really know what was going on, or I didn't really know what was going on, and uh, just the day of her wedding came, it was just a gorgeous, beautiful day, it was a beautiful wedding, David performed the ceremony, he had put together a covenant ceremony, 
it was just, it was really awesome. But he was extremely emotional throughout the whole day. So I thought it was about Ashley, you know, marrying his oldest daughter off. And so the next day we went to return the taxes, he and I, into, into Chattanooga and went to lunch. And he said, you know, I've really got to tell you something. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you can tell, you can tell me anything, you know. And, and then he said, you know, I've been unfaithful to you. And um, he said it, it's gone on for a long time. And, and I <coughs> had had a period of time where I suspected something because, you know, you would suspect, suspect something. But he had said no, and I believed him. And so when he really told me and that became reality, it was just, um, I mean, it's devastating. It was devastating for me. I can't, um, I can't even tell you the pain of this cavern inside of you that is an empty cavern and uh, really just God I've got to breathe you've got to help me breathe you know yeah. and uh, so it was a very difficult time but as difficult as it was for me it was more difficult for him because he had had to face his own reality and uh, he had been able to keep it all separate in his mind you know he had had compartments and men can evidently do that where they compartmentalize their lives and and when he confessed he had to to try to bring them back together and it began a struggle in our lives of David's anxiety and depression and just um, him trying to work through uh, regaining uh, his emotional health. Good. And, and well, how did your dad show you guys, you and Brett and Ashley? Um, well, it was uh, probably about six months after mom and dad, or mom had found out. And so there was some time that, you know, we got, we would see him being, um, kind of not feeling very good. Um, he was gone some, I think at some doctor's appointments and, and really trying to, to figure out some things as far as the medical side of it because he was having a lot of internal pain. Um, and I remember the day that uh, they got us together. Um, they told us kind of that afternoon, uh, dad had told my sister and I, hey, you need to come home around this time. We're going uh, to talk as a family. And um, you know, at that time, my mind is uh, thinking similar, probably not a cruise, but thinking like, uh, is does he have cancer? There's something's going on because I know that he had been sick um, for some time. And uh, he sat us in the living room. I can see exactly where we were sitting, what the furniture looks like, everything to this day. And um, he began to cry. And in that moment, I knew something was wrong. And he began to just pour his heart out and say that he had confessed to an affair. And at that time, my mind began swirling with anger, details, questions, and really even hate. Um, not so much at him at the time, um, but it was the person or the woman that was um, on the other end of it. Um, I began to really struggle with that in that very moment. And I remember that night, all I could do was cry. Um, my heart was broken because I thought my, my family would never, ever go through something like that. And so as you can see, there's two great men, two different situations, but one conversation changed their whole lives. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've had one of those conversations. Maybe it was about a diagnosis. Maybe it was a confession. Maybe it was one of those. Or maybe you know you need to have one of those. And, and at times, we can just be cruising through life. And then all of a sudden, one conversation, one moment, and our lives are never the same. So at this point, everybody on stage is, is really in a battle. So Jennifer and Sam, could you, I mean, you guys are, are looking at these experimental treatments. Like, what was this battle like, and what was the journey after the diagnosis? I'll just say from my part and my perspective, it was excruciating at times to watch someone you love have to go through some painful tests. 
and treatments and things. And to always know there were on the other side, they're telling you it probably isn't going to work, but we can try this. So he had to go through uh, interferon for 10 months, giving himself shots. Uh, we had to go through multiple scans and tests, which always brings a level of anxiety that is almost unthinkable, um, walking into those. And then twice we had them tell us we had positive results to, and would call us two days later and say, wait, we saw this. And so you talk about some highs and lows uh, hitting really hard. And the whole time we're praying really hard. And um, David was well known because our church was a fairly large church. And um, I think you may have the picture up there. There was a picture going all around every social media, pray for David. And they had banners and they had, we were getting prayer shawls in the mail from different churches. And I mean, people were posting things. I mean, I couldn't almost look at a lot of the stuff at that time because he was everywhere. And um, I appreciated the prayers, but at the same time, and we were getting letters in our mailbox. I probably have 10 Rubbermaid huge containers of just letters from people all over the world. People called me, uh, pastors and their wives, from the Garden of Gethsemane praying for David. I mean, we, you know, I thought, I'm determined to pray him well if it's possible, but I thought even if my prayers don't avail, at least some of these people that I know are much godlier than me um, because I could tell you many speakers and preachers and singers who were praying at that time. Um, Chris Tomlin even had a song out that was all about David. And so, um, you know, there was a lot going on um, and a lot of prayers going up, but it just kept seeming like the prayers were going, uh, I mean, what we were praying, we were seeing go in a different direction. So it was a really, really tough journey. And Sam, I think at that time, you had some well-meaning people that would try to cheer you up, but I think it frustrated you a little bit. I think some people in the audience can relate to a little bit of your frustration. You want to share a little bit of that? Yeah, so, um, you know, everybody everybody means well. Um, sometimes people just, they just don't know what to say, you know, when you're going through something. And so, um, and eventually you kind of get tired of some, you know, some people saying some things. And, and I remember, like, people would come up to me and they'd say things like, hey, uh, I think your dad's going to be okay I just have this really good feeling, and I'd be like, well, thank you. I'm glad you have a really good feeling, because the doctor with the PhD says it's this long in life, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. We, I'm glad we got good feelings, you know, but uh, people would just, they just come up and say things, and you're like, I want to punch you in the face. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I bet, <laughs> I just know what to say, but uh, I mean, I'm glad people care, so we got to think about what we say, you know, but yeah. I do the same thing at times. I freeze and I say something, you know, but I guess that's just, you know, because you had all kinds of people coming up and saying all kinds of different things, and um, yeah, I guess to answer your question. Yeah, <laughs> and that's good, and so what you have in these situations, you have these promises of healing, like God's going to heal you, and know, Brenda, for you and Whitney, it was, hey, go to this treatment center, and, and this is going to happen, and, and healing is going to come, but the reality is after David confessed and he lost his job, and at that point, it's like, okay, where do we turn to? And I believe you guys went to Woodstock next. So could you just tell us a little bit about that journey of, of just that battle that you guys found yourselves in? Yes, once uh, David began to confess to other people besides just me about the affair, we lost our job with, um, that we had at the current time. And God opened the door for us to go to Woodstock, which was the place that David was actually at one point in time going to go to work for as a counselor in their uh in this very program that we ended up going and entering it's a program for ministers who have 
fallen and they try to restore you. You spend a year there and it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful program. We went into that program and were there for a year. It was wonderful for me because I was in counseling with other women. I was in a group with other women that were in similar situations. But for David, it was much more of a struggle because it was a place that he would have been as a minister and now he was on the receiving end and it was just, you know, he, they gave him a job and he was doing lighting at First Baptist Woodstock, which is what his job was. And it was just, it was very, uh, it increased his struggle, I think, because he, he struggled to, uh, you know, think that he could have been there in a different role. And so it was, uh, was still a very uh, time where we were seeing a lot of different uh, counselors, uh, psychiatrists, a lot of different medications. And uh, he began to go down a path where he would abuse his prescription medications, trying to find peace, trying to f sleep, just trying to find some kind of... Uh, wholeness within himself and Whitney was there for with us for a little while um, then she came back to Cleveland and it was David and Brett and I but it, um, it, it ended with David actually going into a treatment program there within that program and staying for about four, uh, four or five months so just trying to find some way to uh, of healing the healing that we just knew would come and we continued to try to work on our marriage I mean I was I was committed to uh, believe that he could be healed, that he could come through the other side, that we could restore our marriage, we could just keep our family intact. And that was really what my heart, uh, what I wanted to believe would happen. And Whit, could you tell us about a diagnosis that your dad received throughout this journey? Yeah, so um, as my dad was kind of struggling and um, like mom mentioned, just really having a hard time in Woodstock, um, he began to struggle more and he was diagnosed with depression. Um, and he was in and out of some treatment facilities after um, Woodstock. And uh, I think it was really hard for us to hear because for me, I didn't even really know what depression really was. Um, for me, I, I know that I got sad and I thought, okay, snap out, I'm gonna go shopping and that'll make me better, you know? And so um, at 16 or 17, 18 and 19, I didn't really understand what depression really looked like. And so when you tell me that he's, you know, clinically depressed and he's, you know, taking medication. Um, I just kind of struggled with that. And I know that he did as well because he was in and out um, of some facilities um, trying to figure out and trying to get help, trying to get that sleep, trying to, I think that's what I remember a lot of is he just wasn't able to sleep. And when you can't sleep, it, it messes up everything, you know? And so um, he was just in agony um, through, I think through this, this time. So true. And so Jennifer and Sam, promises of healing, what actually happened? Well, um, David went through all the treatments that they had for him. They had one last treatment to try. And so we knew our options were running out by January. But in September of that year, um, he took a, a, a just a really rough turn. He had a brain bleed. And so then we were in the hospital for several weeks. He was in ICU and they were doing different operations. And uh, it, w it was a really tough time. We came home and not until probably the last two weeks of his life did I think this is not going to work out like I'm praying. And we were home nine days. He really wanted to go home. So we finally got him home and uh, he had uh, hospice came in and hospice um, who were wonderful folks and they uh, just told me now sometimes they can linger on and if, if things are unresolved is there anybody that David needs to talk to or that you need to bring in and I remember going to David and I said David is there anybody I need to get over here that you'd like to talk to or say a word to or anything he said 
I just want to talk to Jesus. And I thought, okay, you're ready. I don't need to work you know, on anything being resolved. And uh, he was home nine days when he died at home. And um, so, it, you know, it didn't quite turn out like we were praying. But at that point, I think I was relieved because I knew he wasn't suffering anymore. And I think we were all just spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically worn out because it had been around the clock, a constant care with medicines every hour or so. Um, but that's how our journey ended there. So, Brenda, could you and, and Whitney just share a little bit about what actually happened? So, David is in and out of these treatment programs, and he's really trying. He's been diagnosed, and he's in this battle. And so, what were some of the results of that, and, and how did that battle come to conclusion? In uh, 2008, I guess after we left the uh, program in Woodstock, David had a series of attempts on his life. He tried several times to end his life. His depression had gotten to the point where that was uh, something we were dealing with. And so we all lived in fear of that uh, every day, that uh, that, that would happen. And in uh, May of 2009, he had actually been able to uh, go back to work a little bit. He was working. We all had hope. We thought there was progress being made. And he... Um, he, he was not doing well, though, and he made another attempt. And um, it really just shook our world again because we really felt like we were making progress. And we made a decision at that time that David would enter a treatment program. And the man that was helping us uh, suggested that it be away, somewhere where he wasn't with us, away from home. So he ended up going to Minnesota to a treatment program, uh, Teen Challenge. And he left in May, and it was with the support of a lot of people. He did it voluntarily. He he felt like it would be a good thing. We thought being away from us, not looking at us, you know, and maybe the pain we were in would be a good thing. And he was there from May until September, and we got a call, or the end of August, we got a call, and um, he had walked out of the church. They were at a church singing, and David had walked out of the church, and they couldn't find him. And so we, um, you know, we just were in shock. We hoped that, you know, he was trying to get to us, that he was, you know, doing, but, you know, um, we were soon to learn on uh, September the 1st when I came home from work and there was a police car in, in the driveway. I knew that it was not a good a good ending. And so it just happened that God had us all, the kids and I, all there at one time. We all found out together. And it was just, uh, it was just, you know, it was just the most terrible thing that you can find out is that the loved one that you feared would take his life did. And um, so it was just a very difficult time, but a time... Um, that um, we thought might one day come. And so, did you want to add something, Whitney? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, um, you know, I think hearing that, you know, news, um, one, as a daughter, because, you know, your dad loses a whole world, you know. And I think for me, as as his wife, I mean, we had been through a lot of struggles, and I had really, I had prayed, God, you know, I want him to be healed. But you know what? If if you if he cannot be healed on this earth, then you know, your will, not my will, be done. And um, I think that that was part of what became our reality. And my biggest pain, my biggest pain, is uh, of course I was hurting myself, but it was for my children. I mean, because. It was their daddy, you know, and I knew that that was, um, 
that was going to change their world forever. And I think the one thing we all need to recognize is that David lost the battle to a disease. The depression is a disease, and nobody's going to criticize David Landreth because he lost the battle to cancer. Nobody's going to say he should have fought harder. But in the same way, David Barton lost the battle to a disease, and I've heard depression characterized as, as cancer of the mind, and that's really what it is. And so at this point, these families have, have prayed for healing, and they've cried out to God, and they've had faith, and yet the healing didn't come. So what do we do when the healing doesn't come? And how do we begin to even pick up the pieces and midst all the doubt move forward? So any of you guys can answer this. What do we do when the healing doesn't come? I think when bad things happen, our tendency is to think God doesn't love me. And I know for me, I just had to remind myself that God is good and God loves me. And that seems so simple and so basic, but sometimes I would even have to say that to myself in the mirror. God is good, and God loves me, and I can't, you know, deny that, and I can't go against that. Um, but when bad things happen, I think that's our tendency to think God's not good, God's not for me, God doesn't love me. But that's just a lie of Satan, because God always loves you, he's always for you, and he, always, he still has a plan for your life. And I think that's where I finally had to come to terms to think, you know, there's part of me that didn't want it to do a life without David. But, um, and I was really depressed there for a while, and church was hard because obviously he wasn't there. And I remember there were days when I would go from my bedroom to my den, and I would just, that's about as far as I went the whole day. And I remember thinking, yeah, the mailman's come. But it can just pile up. I'll get it the next day or something because I didn't really want to have to go out and face any of my neighbors. And every other house went to the church. And everybody had good things to say, and they were kind. But it was just really tough. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And so um, I finally had to reach a point, though, where I thought, God, you still have a plan. I'm still here. And so help me to just move. I need to get up and move. And I had to find some things that made me move. And um, for me, I love kids. And so I started uh, getting around kids more. And I had puppy dogs in my house at that time. And they made me have to get up and let them outside, you know, at times. And so for me, those were, I mean, it seems so simple and so basic, but it helped me to move. Yeah. And you got to find where, where has God given you that passion or some interest and get there because that will help you to move through the pain, I think. Um, I was just going to share this. Uh, at my dad's funeral, um, some of you may um, know this, um, but I was able, or I sang um, the song, It Is Well, and I sang that because it was my dad's favorite song. We were trying to remember how we picked it at the, you know, the time planning the funeral, and I can't really recall it, but somehow it just kind of came, came on there. Um, and I guess as I was singing it, I didn't really mean the words. You know, what does it really mean to say it is well? with your soul. And for me, my soul wasn't well. I was struggling with anger. I was struggling um, with so many questions, um, guilt. You know, I think that's one thing that we can feel. Um, if anybody has ever, you know, I guess dealt with suicide is you ask all those questions of what if I did this better? What if I had done this? Um, one thing for me that I had to really wrestle with is I remember, remember um, talking to my mom um, when he was still in the program of like, you know what, I think it's just time for you to get a divorce. 
I think that we've been through this. It's, we've dragged it out. I think it's time, you know? And so I think in those moments, it was literally a week or two weeks after I said that, that he ended his life. And so I really struggled um, with that uh, guilt. Um, but for me to move forward, um, I had to move to the Philippines. I remember telling my family, um, I'm leaving <laughs> uh, to do medical missions. And it was four months after my dad had died. And I had felt so sure this is exactly what God um, wanted me to do. Um, and even in the time in the midst of frustration and anger, I still was seeking the Lord, still trying to work through it. And I just kept believing that he was telling me that that's what I needed to do. And so there, Jesus forced me to be alone with him. I was away from all of my family, all of the un, all of the knowns, the comfortable state of uh, being here. And um, I, was, I was taken to the Philippines. And um, through that time in the word and just serving other people who um, have been through something similar or nothing like me, but just serving them, um, God allowed me to, to see him. And start trusting him more through the through the um, through this process um, of restoration, through the long process of restoration that I was going to have to be walking through. Yeah, good. Linda, um, after um, after we learned about David's death and we we're planning for his funeral, I mean, we began to want to have a celebration ceremony instead of a because we did believe that David was healed. I mean, he was not healed here on earth. We did believe that he was healed. And so the girls and I wanted to have some manner of, of remembering him, something that we had that represented our memory of him, that we were, he was, we were going to keep him with us. And we chose the dragonfly. And just as a symbol, we got a pin. We wore it on our, our dresses when we went to the funeral. I mean, it was just something that we, we wanted to have a way of saying he is still with us. And uh, so after the, um, after the funeral, it was the Labor Day, and... Uh, you know, we went, uh, we wanted to be together as a family. We went to the lake with uh, my son-in-law Colin's uh, parents, you know, and it was me and Ashley and Whitney, and we were just all together at the lake. We were sitting in the edge of the water, and we're just kind of sitting there talking quietly, you know, just just hurting, you know, and um, we looked up, and there was a metal stob in the middle of the water in front of us, and a, a dragonfly comes and just sits on the stob, and we're just all like, you know, it was just like, oh, oh, my goodness, it's a sign. You know, it's just a sign. And I said, I wonder if they would stay there while I took a picture. I mean, I went and got my camera. I came back, and this dragonfly just stays on the stall. It just sits there. And it just became, for us, it became God saying, I am with you. You know, you did this in memory of David, but this is a symbol of I am with you. And it was just such a confirmation for us that God is with us because, you know, you do have doubts at that time, and you did think, oh, my goodness, you know, but God just gave us that. And I've since read a book that said when God winks at you, you know, it was like a God wink. It was just not a coincidence. Things like that don't happen. It was a, it was a dragonfly sighting, and we had many of those. We've had so many people that have said have had dragonfly sightings when they just, you know, reminds them of David, and it's been a way that we've uh, kept his memory alive, and it's been a really a, a comfort to us, you know, because we know that when we see one, it always reminds us that God, David is with him, and God is with us, and he has us in the palm of his hand. Good. And Sam, I know that sometimes in life we think, okay, one bad thing happened, I'm good. Like, I, all the bad things are going to happen to me, but Sam, like, your dad passed away, and then what happened right after that? Um, well, just to back up just for a second, I, I, think, I think for me, I was just, I was so mad at God. Uh, I was so mad at him. You know, I actually didn't get it. I didn't understand it, because uh, you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you've always been told, like, you know, you have not because you ask not, and you pray, and, and the Lord will heal, and 
then you hear stories of miracles. Like I remember going to church and, and hearing stories of how people were healed, and I just be like, "What the heck?" You know, like, why did they get healed? You know, or you know, and it's like Matt Chandler called and Beth Moore called. She's like close to being an angel. Like she prayed. Like why did that <laughs> not work? You know, and like you know, and you had all this stuff. And and then yeah. for me, it's like I, I would get on my knees every night before bed and I pray. I said, "Jesus, please heal my dad." You know, and I'd just be like, "Why? He was he was doing good things. Like why not take?" You know, someone who, who's doing the wrong thing. Why take someone who's, you know, spreading your name? And so, uh, even for me, like, and I'm in college and alone, and so, uh, you know, I, w- I was so mad, so I, I went off and tried other things for a while, and I didn't want to come to church because that's the one place that reminded me. You know, I didn't want to see a pastor because I was, you know, the only pastor I knew was my dad. Um, and so, and then I thought, um, okay, you know, we've, we've gone through this, and I think sometimes we think, like you said, when something happens, uh, you know, we're going to catch a break. And then uh, it's not always the case. And so um, I was playing basketball, and I was supposed to go back home to Belmont. I had actually, uh, that's where my dad played. And so I'd actually called the coach just, just out of nowhere. It was probably crazy, but you do crazy stuff when you, you know, go through stuff. And I was just like, hey, uh, my dad played there. Uh, is there any way I can just come walk on? Like, I'll do whatever I got to do. Uh, I just want to play there uh, because he played there. And he was like, yeah, sure, come on. I'm like, wow, you know, what's going on? You know, and then my brother's supposed to be there, and and really like stuff happened where, you know, it's a very expensive school, and they kind of worked it out to where we could go, uh, and then my mom was gonna be close to home, and so I get down there, and and, and I I've gone through one knee surgery during this whole year when all this happened, I go through another one, uh, start practicing. My brother's at school there, close to home, um, and then uh, the first day of practice, uh, we go out. My knee's still bothering me. I've still been rehabbing. And uh, the trainer says, hey, we got to go to the uh, doctor, you know, because something's not right. Mm-hmm. And so we sit in the doctor's office, and, and this is the day before, like, team pictures, day before everything. And the doctor comes in and he just says, hey, you can't, you can't do it at this level anymore. You can't do it at this, uh, you know, you can't practice collegiate basketball at this level and do it every day uh, anymore. And then uh, a little while later, my brother decides to uh, not stay at Belmont anymore. And then my mom moves here, and I'm like, what in the world is going on, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And then I'm driving like the same week and like a deer just jumps out and hits me. And I'm like looking around. I'm like, someone's out to get me, you know, like <laughs> I'm going to lock myself in my room, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for me, too, it's just all this stuff happens and you're so mad and you're so angry. And for me, it wasn't that I, you know, I had doubts and stuff, but I, I, I could never, I told Tyler, I, I could never like not believe in God just because of what I saw my dad mm-hmm. believing in towards the end. But I was mad at him and I didn't want anything to do with him at the time and I told them this story, but I, I remember a couple months before he passed away, he kept asking um, for these index cards, and, and he was like, hey, someone look around the house and bring these index cards to the hospital, and he's not far away from death, and nobody can find them, and I go back to school, and then something bad happens, so I drive back down, because I'm driving back and forth, um, and so I get back, and I see him in the hospital bed just flipping through his index cards, and so I'm like, well, I'm going to go see what's on these things, because these things got to be important, you know, I don't know what's on these index cards, so I walk around, and I look, and it's just verses. He's just going through. And I remember just having two reactions in that, in that moment. And the first, like I said, I, w- I was so angry. And I wanted to take him and throw him and be like, what are you doing? It's the same God that, that won't heal you. Mm-hmm. But then my second one was this, that if this is the only thing that you're holding on to, the thing that you want to find so much that, to look at and you're just a couple months away from death, then something about this Jesus guy has to be real. Good stuff. It's awesome. And as we had talked through and preparing for this, a couple lessons that they learned. One of the things, and Brenda said it earlier, is that the healing did come. 
And our question was, what do we do when the healing doesn't come? But really, the healing did come. And it didn't come in the way they wanted because everybody on this stage wanted the healing to come on earth, but the healing happened in heaven. And so just recognizing that sometimes when we pray for things, the healing doesn't come the way we want it, but God is still good. And we sit here on Palm Sunday talking about these stories. And, and just a few days after Jesus on Palm Sunday rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, a few days later, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, Father, if there's any other way, would you not let me go through the cross? Like, is there any other option besides the cross? And his father said, no, you have to go through the cross. The cross was the only way for us to have a relationship with God. And so Jesus had to endure unspeakable pain, just unimaginable mental torture and physical torture on the cross for us. And if we're going to follow him, sometimes we're going to have to go through unspeakable pain as well. Sometimes the healing doesn't come on earth, but it always comes. And even as we look at the story of the cross, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And as we look at the empty tomb, we can know that hope lives. In the midst of death, in the midst of tragedy, hope lives on. Restoration is a long, hard road, but it is ongoing. And just to say one thing about suicide to make sure we're on the same page, there are some people that in churches and stuff that say, if you commit suicide, then that condemns you to hell. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that. That is not true. The fact is, if you make a mistake right before you die, that does not condemn you in any way, no matter what that mistake is. In Romans, it says that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. And if you look at David Barton's life, there was fruit. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is right now in heaven worshiping. I mean, who knows? David, both David's maybe hanging out together right now, just praising Jesus because the healing did come. And so for you guys, and you don't all have to answer this, but just could you share like in this moment, how is the restoration continuing? And then also, are there any ways you've been able to offer restoration to others in the midst of your pain? I think for me, my restoration began um, when I was in the Philippines, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but I still struggled a lot when I got home. I think reality hit me. I was uh, surrounded by it. Um, people coming up to me and that kind of thing. Um, and so kind of later down the road, I realized that I, I needed to see a counselor. I needed to see some kind of grief counselor. I was holding it all in. I was trying to be strong. Um, but internally, I was um, eating myself. I was being um, very angry, um, things I would lash out. Um, and so counseling became a huge part of my restoration. I learned how practical ways to work through it, to cope with it, um, to, to even journal, to talk um, with my dad. Um, but I, I really appreciate our family because we've never not talked about my dad. We celebrate his birthday still. Um, sometimes we, uh, if we remember, well, no, <laughs> uh, we'll go to Outback or we'll do things that just, that was his favorite place. You know, we'll do things that just honor him. And so I'm very thankful that for that, that we were able to express that all in different ways. We've all handled grief um, differently. Um, but that was a big part for me. And then honestly, too, just that God gives us stories, whether we wanted them <laughs> or not. And so how do we use those stories to glorify him? And what the enemy tried to use for destruction in, in my family, God is getting glory for it. And that is our main, my main focus in this, as hard as it may be, um, and as hard as it is to share sometimes. Um, so I think that when God gives us opportunities to talk to other people or to share, um, he's allowed, uh, again, his glory uh, to shine through. So. Very good. Yeah. 
think ways of restoration too that uh, have helped me are just staying in his word and staying with a group of ladies that keep me in his word and um, just having that accountability, staying in church. Um, but uh, I know some practical things, like we tried to take something bad, like melanoma, and we were able to, um, I think you've got a picture of the Miles for Melanoma race that we were able to be a part of. Uh, I think it's after that. But, um, and we were able to organize that and have the biggest team and give the biggest donation in Nashville last year. So. That's something that, you know, you do want to turn it around and do something good out of something bad. And sure. um, But I think restoration is still a process. I think we'd all agree we're probably still in that process to some degree. Um, but a verse that meant something to me was Psalm 71, 19. It says, who, O God, is like you? Though you've made us see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore our lives again from the depths of the earth, and you will bring us up and increase our honor and comfort us once again. And God will do that for you, too. Linda, do you have anything? I just, uh, I think that uh, like the, the whole process of grief is just such a big journey. And, you know, as I sit up here today, and I'm very thankful to be here. It's, it's, I'm still in the process. It's mm -hmm. still, um, it's still something that I'm moving through. And I think that, um, that God is good because he takes us at the pace that we can go at, you know, I mean, and so um, there are a lot of things that I feel like he may have for me to do, especially in the realm of suicide, because it's such, such a difficult uh, area to deal with. I mean, it's not just that you've lost a loved one, but you've lost a loved one who chose to go, and it becomes, it becomes one of those difficult things to deal with because you feel so guilty. Everybody feels guilty. Even people that didn't know David would come up and tell me that they felt guilty. So in, in my healing process, this is probably part of it, being able to open up and to share with you today. He has us on a journey of being able just to be transparent. It's very difficult to be transparent because of the stigma attached to it. So I'm very thankful to be here, and I'll just say that, you know, God is healing me. It, he used uh, he used a lot of different things to heal me. One of them was friends. Um, I had a great group of women friends that God used in my life. I have uh, my kids, my children and I are so close, uh, and I think that probably closer than we would have ever been if it hadn't been through the loss of David. I have two awesome son-in-laws that God has gifted me with, and I know it's a gift from him, so I'm just so thankful for them and what they've done to minister to me in my life. So um, just uh, all the things that God uses to bring in, into our lives when we're grieving and hurting, and you know, just don't be afraid to reach out to somebody that's grieving or hurting. Even if you're just a per, you know, a, a person that's with them, you don't have to say a lot. Just be there and let them know that you love them and care for them because it, they're on a journey and you can be part of their journey. Sam, if, if you want to share anything else about your restoration, if you could just pray for our church that as different people are on journeys that they would find the restoration that you guys are walking through as well. Yeah, I think, I think for me I had to uh, finally come to a point and stop, stop being so mad at God and to trust him and um, – and realize that, you know, in the Bible, he straight up tells us, in, you know, in John 16, 33, that it's going to be hard. Or he tells us other times that it's not going to be easy. And, and just because, um, you know, we accept Jesus, it doesn't mean everything's going to go as planned. And, and the same decision I made uh, when I was seven was to follow Jesus. It didn't say follow Jesus when things are good. It said follow Jesus through no matter what. Sure. And so kind of coming to terms with that, and I'm still process and and something else for me is i think when you when you have stuff happen it's so easy to to look at yourself and, and to think about everything that's going wrong with you like 
you know, for me, it's so easy to look at and say, well, my dad died, I can't play basketball, and this happened, this happened, this happened. And for me, it, it was really when I began to get my eyes off myself and look around and realize that other people, there's so many other people that have stuff going on. There's so many people that are hurting. Everybody goes through stuff. It's just different. But everybody has pain. And through that, um, you know, I've been able to, to go every summer. I'll, I'll speak youth camps. I'll go places, and I can't tell you how many times that, you know, people come up, and there's something very similar or something, you know, close to it. But for me, too, it's, it's knowing that there's all that hurting going on, knowing all that stuff's going on, and then being able to speak the truth into that to say, look, here's the answer. I got it wrong enough. <laughs> here's the right answer. Yeah. Um, so let me uh, pray for us real quick, and, and I'll give it back to Todd. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you do. I thank you that we're ga- able to gather here today, God. I, I thank you that we're able to, to open up about stuff that, that's just not good, stuff that's, that's tragedy, stuff that doesn't even, uh, stuff that we never want to ha- have happen or expect. Um, but God, I thank you that in the midst of that, in the midst of things going on, As the band comes up, we're going to have an opportunity for you guys to respond. And part of this response time is simply a song that, that Whitney mentioned earlier and has been part of her restoration process. So Whitney, could you tell us about the song? Yeah, um, earlier, you know, I had just said uh, that it is, I sang it as well um, with my dad's funeral. At my dad's funeral, didn't really understand um, truly what it meant to say um, it was well with my soul. Um, over time, it took years for me to be able to say that, really to even hear the song. I mean, I remember hearing it at church um, when Todd and I were married, and I just would walk out, or I would just sit there and just cry, because it wasn't well with my soul. I had a lot of questions, but as I have sat, sat before the Lord and, and, and asked him, you know, God, why? Sometimes I don't know the answer, and I may never, but what he has shown me is that Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. And through the trial and through the tragedy, through sorrow, whatever the sorrow looks like for you, we can say it is well because of God's grace and because of who Jesus is. Um, And so despite all the pain and all the loss, I can stand before you now and say it is well with my soul. And that even though I still face um, the questions and, 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 and even the pain, I now know where again to turn, and that it is the Lord um, that gives me that that restoration. And so um, we're gonna sing that in just a minute. That's awesome. And so for you, you may be here today, and you may not be able to say with authenticity that it is well with my soul. But the challenge is that you would take a step on that journey, and it may be two months or two years or five years before you can actually sing this song and mean it. But would you take a step right now? And if you need to talk to someone from the refuge room, we would love to listen to you. There's someone underneath the exit sign who would love to just have an authentic conversation with you at this point. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and you just want the hope that he offers through the cross and resurrection, just tell him that. And then talk to somebody before you leave. But I want to invite you guys that whenever you're ready, if you can say this with authenticity, let's stand up and sing with all that we have, that it is well with our soul. And if you're not ready, would you take a step to get there?
Render 